Welcome to all of you. Thank you for coming. My name is Nayaswami Ananta. This is Nayaswami Maria. And it is a great blessing to have all of you here. And we have nothing but gratitude for the children's choir, for all of you, and um, for the karma yogis, and the guests at the Expanding Light, and the guests at the meditation retreat. Uh, and it's truly a pleasure. Also, those of you who are joining us online, it, it adds to know that this uh, celebration goes out all over the world. So thank you for being here. Um, this week, I'd like to read from Rays of the One Light. Um, this is parallel passages on the Bible and the Gita, uh, compiled by Swami Kriyananda. And this week our topic is the law of karma, bondage or soul release. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. The epistle of St. Paul to the Galatians contains this oft-quoted statement. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that sh shall he also reap. In Autobiography of a Yogi, Paramahansa Yogananda tells a story from the life of the Benares saint, Trilanga Swami. A skeptic once determined to expose Trilanga as a charlatan. A large bucket of calcium lime mixture used in whitewashing walls was placed before the Swami. Master, the materialist said in mock reverence, I have brought you some clabbered milk. Please drink it. Trilanga unhesitatingly drained to the last drop the container full of burning lime. In a few minutes, the evildoer fell to the ground in agony. Help, Swami, help, he cried. I'm on fire. Forgive my wicked test. The great yogi broke his habitual silence. Scoffer, he said. You did not realize, when you offered me poison, that my life is one with your own. Except for my knowledge that God is present in my stomach, as in every atom of creation, the lime would have killed me. Now that you know the divine meaning of boomerang, never again play tricks on anyone. The well-purged sinner, healed by Trilanga's words, slunk feebly away. Yogananda goes on to say, The reversal of pain was not due to any volition of the master, but came about through unerring application of the law of justice, which upholds creation's farthest swinging orb. Men of God-realization, like Trilonga, allow the divine law to operate instantaneously. They have banished forever all thwarting cross-currents of ego. Not by reason alone, but by self-realization, are the ins and outs of destiny fully understood. Their web, though tied forever to the post of ego motivation, is too intricate to be perceived as a single thread. Only great masters can see it with clarity. It is visible to them in all its workings, not from within the tangle, but from above in superconsciousness. As Sri Krishna said in the fourth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, he who beholds inaction in action and action in inaction is wise among men. He is one with the Spirit. He has attained the true goal of action, perfect freedom.
Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Oh, oh, oh. I'd like to read from Yogananda's Whispers from Eternity. And this uh, <clears throat> is entitled, Save Us from the Net of Matter Attachment. The fisherman of change has cast over us a net of cosmic delusion. We are swimming in confined waters, falsely confident in our seeming safety. Yet the net of death closes in upon us relentlessly. At every hall of the danger of delusion, many are caught, and only a scattered few escape. Ah, but at long last, I leaped out into deep sea spaces of silent communion. Thus, finally, did I escape the net of time. O measureless mercy, save me and all my brothers from this fearful, all-seizing, but unseen net of matter attachment. <clears throat> As I was reading and considering this uh, whisper of Yogananda's, I marveled at the many names Yogananda uses in his prayers, in his poems, in his writings for God. And here he describes that divine benevolence as the measureless mercy. A beautiful name and very appropriate for our talk today on karma, bondage, or soul release. Because measureless, measureless, is the opposite of the measurer, or the cosmic measurer, which is what maya is, what delusion is. It measures the space between things. It measures the difference of things, the opposite, duality life and death, pain and joy, health and sickness. That's maya. It measures. And duality has those two aspects to it. And as long as we identify with duality, duality identify with that multifaceted nature of things, we become engaged. And we enjoy for a great period of time, that engagement, that delusion, until we wake up, until we realize that it is the measureless mercy that we have been seeking, that ocean of light, that ocean of divine love. I wanted to share with you a story. Uh, it's about a young boy in India. And this boy 
was born to parents, born to a sage. His father was a great sage. So we would think good karma. And this boy was one day wandering in the forest, and he got lost. He wandered too far and was lost. And he was never again found by his earthly parents. He was found and adopted by strangers, but those that extended themselves to take care of him, to rear him. And these became his parents, this family that lived in the woods and carved out their existence in the woods, in the forest. He was, the man was a hunter. And so he raised this newfound child to be a hunter. That was his living. That was how they survived. And so the boy grew up and he learned the skills of being a hunter. But he added to those skills as he grew up. The profession, <laughs> that's not going to be the right word, but the activity of, of robbing all of those who traveled through the forest on the lone road that went through the forest. And he would rob them. So yeah, maybe that was his profession too. He was a robber. And he would provide for his friends, he would provide for his family in this way, in addition to hunting. And one day, a pilgrim came wandering through on this lonely road, and this hunter, robber, accosted him and said, give me what you have, give me all that you have. And the man was only too happy to give what he had. It wasn't much. But he engaged the robber, and the robber somehow took at least a relative interest. He was curious in this wanderer. And the wanderer said to the robber, you can have all of these things, but I ask you to please consider the consequences, the consequences of all of your actions in stealing and taking things from people, accosting them in the wilds, taking all that they have, you have acquired great sin, many sins, in fact. And I ask you to consider this. Are those who benefit from your actions going to be there to support you? Are they going to be there to help work out this karma, these sins? And the robber said, well, of course they will. They've benefited greatly from the work that I have done. <laughs> Surely they'll share in this. And the wanderer said, I don't, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure that they will. And <clears throat> this wanderer, in fact, was a messenger from God, the messenger of God. Narada, sage Narada. But the man didn't know this. And still being interested in what he had to say, he listened. And finally Narada said to him, I suggest that you go and ask those who benefit from these robberies and ask if they will take on 
the sin that you are accruing. And I'll wait here for you. I'll wait, and you can come back, and we'll see who's right. So Narada waits, and the robber heads off. And first he finds some of his friends, people he's given things to over the years, and he explains the situation and says, will you help me? And he's totally startled because they say, absolutely not. This is your business, how you get these things. We didn't ask you to get them, but we're pleased, we're happy, we're grateful that you've given them to us. But no, we're not going to help you pay this karmic debt. And so the robber is somewhat dismayed, but he's certain that even though he hasn't found any support with these so-called friends, that his family is going to help him out. And so he finds his family, he goes to his wife, his children are gathered there, and he says, for many years now I have provided for our family. I've given you everything. We've been comfortable. We have a home, relatively speaking, and we have what we need to survive. And I want to know if you will help to alleviate these sins that I have acquired when the time comes by doing this kind of work. And the wife jumps forward and says, absolutely not. This is your business. And moreover, it's your duty as the provider, as the father, to take care of us and make sure that we are comfortable and we have what we need to eat. And the robber is just, it just blows him away. He can't believe it. This isn't something that he at all anticipated. And so greatly discouraged, even depressed, he feels, what is he going to do? What can he do now? And he returns to Narada, explains the situation, and says, what can I do? What can I possibly do? And Narada says to him, well, you can meditate, you can pray to God, you can think of God, you can go to God, and ultimately your sins will be absolved. And he instructs the robber to sit down quietly and to start repeating the name of God, Rama. And he does this. The robber, you know, he's, he's ready to walk from his family, his friends. No one's going to help him. No one's going to support him. This is all that he can do. And he puts his whole energy behind it. And he starts to chant Rama, but he can't get it out of his mouth. His evil has been so great. He has accumulated so much sin that he can't say the name of God. It won't come out. It doesn't sound right. And Narada says to him, finally, after numerous failed attempts, attempts, say the name Mara. Mara means death or evil. And say that. And this is an easy word for him to say. And he just starts repeating Mara, Mara, Mara. And finally, you can see the, the letters are the same. Mara becomes Rama just in that repetition as he purifies. 
And weeks go by, months go by, years go by, and a whole ant mound builds up around him, completely enclosing him. He's invisible to anyone's sight. Years go by, decades go by. And finally, Narada returns again to the forest. And he sees this anthill and breaks it open and outsteps this great being. And he gives the name to this being, Valmiki. It means anthill. But Valmiki, as you know, as you might know, maybe everyone doesn't know, but Valmiki was the author of the Ramayana. And it was shortly after this, as he came out of this deep meditation, that he wrote that great scripture of India. So I was thinking of this story. It's, it's one of my favorites in regards to karma. And there were two points about which I wanted to just speak a little bit. And the first of these is the importance of accepting responsibility for our karma, just as Valmiki did. He saw that it wasn't anyone else's fault. It wasn't anyone else's responsibility. And this is what we see so much of in our culture today. It's so easy to place blame outside of the self on other people, on circumstance, on the way we were raised, on who our parents were, how they lived their life, perhaps even on our children. It's people very easily place blame on everything and everyone <coughs> other than accepting that full responsibility within themselves for change. Swami Kriyananda wrote a, uh, what we call the vow of superconscious living. And I won't recite the whole thing, it's not very long, but just two key points here. I vow from this day forth to be true to my higher superconscious self to blame no one in adversity but myself. And then, instead of blame, to accept full responsibility with God's help for changing myself. So this is what Valmiki did, this full acceptance of responsibility for what is, for our karma. Yogananda said, whatever we have done, we can undo. And in a marvelous chapter of his autobiography, Autobiography of a Yogi, Outwitting the Stars, he talks about this very subject. And Yukteswar explains to him, because he's asking, you know, how do I deal with these influences? And essentially, Yukteswar is saying, you're greater than these influences. God is greater than these influences. And Yogananda, when he was a young boy, before he even reached manhood, he said he had already, his astrological uh, chart said he would marry three times and twice be a widower. He wasn't going to have anything to do with that. <laughs> you know, he had his sights on God alone. And he 
navigated in such a way that he was able to avoid the first two and the third one he handed off to his cousin who was really happy. She was a beautiful wife, beautiful woman, he said. And the job went with it too, the job that his father promised him. But he focused on the divine. And he said, <clears throat> Yukteswar said to him, don't worry about those influences. In fact, defeat the planets by the power of God within you. And by the planets, he meant the past. He meant karma. He said, defeat them all by shifting your allegiance from creation to the creator. It's so simple to read it that way, to listen to it that way, to assimilate it in that way. Just a shift of allegiance, a shift of the focus of our attention from creation, from duality, to the creator. Accepting that full responsibility that with God, we can get through this. With God, we can transcend this. With God, even as it is, karma is. Is it good bad karma? Is it bad karma? Does it even matter? No, it doesn't matter. It is. And at the moment we notice it, <coughs> there's already a huge amount of karma in the past if we look in that direction that will support it. But it doesn't matter, is what he's saying. Just make that shift of our attention, that shift and focus of our consciousness. And when we do that, our sight perceives the gift. Because karma is the gift. However it looks to us, good or bad, it's the gift from Divine Mother that's going to help us to be inwardly free. How many times have you heard someone say who's gone through something very difficult, very difficult, and in the height of it, they were practically drowning in the circumstances. But coming out the other side has said, I wouldn't have traded this for anything because we see the gift in it. We see the purification that's taken place. We see the growth, and we feel and experience the freedom of it, the freedom of that karma released. And the second point in this story was just Valmiki's ability to instantly retreat to that center within. I mean, true, there was no other option. He was really pushed against the wall. But then to live that life in which we're established within our center. We're living in our center. We're living in the awareness of God that even though all of this stuff is going on and it hurts, it's painful, it's not even right. It's not even good. But it's our karma. There we are, it's ours. And it's that divine gift. And to stay in the center with that knowledge, with that awareness. Yogananda uh, said in that shift of consciousness that we 
take on that vision, we take on that view of the measureless mercy. We feel that divine love enveloping us. It changes our vision. It changes our purpose. It gives strength and courage to be able to meet and live what is. And to his disciple, his great disciple, Rajasi Janakananda, Yogananda said, destroy this dream with one blow of your wakefulness. I love those words. I find personally great support in those. Because again, it's just that simple shift from being asleep to being awake. And in wakefulness, seeing the delusion for what it is. It loses power. It loses magnetism. It can no longer dissuade us. It can no longer tempt us. And Yogananda said that he knows what it feels like to be without the beloved. He knows that experience of mm, seeming isolation, where we just feel desperate in what it, about what is going on, what we're experiencing. And he said, I know what that's like. I know what that's like. And I will help you. I will, wherever I am in space, wherever I am, you know, on some other faraway planet, I will help you. I will be there as your friend, as your guide, as your partner on this path of measureless mercy.